Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Welcome to the really big show. We're in our usual motley assortment of malcontents, curmudgeons, and pundits from the HHW LOD Network. Talk pop culture, movies, TV, video games, and ever so much more. It's the really big show, or as we refer to it, really BS. And now, let's start the show. More fun than going through Zach Galifianakis' beard looking for a stray Cheeto. It's the really big show. Number three. Or as we like to call it, really BS. And with me to BS our brains out are the uh, the uh, lovely and vivacious Dr. Esquire. Hey! And the equally lovely and salacious Russell Latham. How come he gets salacious? Because he's more of a Star Wars guy. I was thinking whoa, whoa, salacious whoa. crumb. Uh, well, nice. we could debate that because I'm a pretty I'll big take... Star Wars guy. But uh, I don't know, vivacious is fine with me. Come on, you can live with vivacious, right? <laughs> so uh, we haven't had a chance and an opportunity to do one of these shows in a while, what with the Breaking Bad and the Walking Deads and everything else going on. But just to remind everyone, this is our freeform BS show, everything but comics, pretty much. So we're going to talk movies, we're going to talk TV, uh, I would like to talk a little video games because I've been playing some really cool stuff. Um, we have a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on. I'd like to open up, though, with probably something that's still fresh in everyone's mind who's probably listening to this show. I, I assume you gentlemen have seen the Captain America trailer. Uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, you better believe it. And oh, yeah. I saw the America F. Yera recut of the trailer, which is already up. Other than Avengers, um, the first Cap movie was my is my favorite Marvel movie. It, it's definitely number two right after Avengers. I just thought everything worked in it. It was everything I wanted to see in a Cap movie. It just was, you know, well done top to bottom. I, I, the acting, writing, Joe Johnston did a great job directing. I just, even more than the first Iron Man movie or... You know, any of the other Marvel movies, the first Cap movie after Avengers is my favorite. So I am really stoked for this. And the whole scene that they had, um, are, we, are we all going to lay down our $5 bets now that Robert Redford is actually the Red Skull? <laughs> anyone anyone want to take that action? Cause, uh, if, if I had $5 to bet, maybe, but uh, I, I've certainly seen that theory posited several places. Either that or he's going to pull his shirt open and Armin Zola's face is going to be on a TV screen on his chest. One of those two. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. That would be either, a great reveal. Either one would be awesome. But the trailer's awesome. We're going to see more of Scar Joe, which is always nice. Sebastian... Sebastian Stan plays Sebastian Stan, Bums. thank you. It, it really looks the part of the Winter Soldier. But uh, he, he looks great as a Winter Soldier. I think it, they got the look spot on. Uh, we finally get to see a helicarrier crash all the way, which we got teased in Avengers, but never really happened. And maybe multiples. It's kind of hard yeah. to tell from that shot, but it looks like two, possibly three, crashing all at the same time. It does. And I love the way they're working in the whole gray area of, you know, who is, is Cap really working for the greater good if he's working for America, you know. They're they're adding, like, these shades of uh, these undertones to S.H.I.E.L.D. now, just with this trailer. Um, I don't know. I, I'm really psyched. I couldn't be happier with it. I mean, I was just from the, from the get-go in that trailer. I mean, we get the... I think they're going to explore a little bit more of the whole man out of time thing. We might get his not fitting in the world quite right. You know, where he, you know, Black Widow makes the comment about him asking out the lady from accounting and he kind of makes up the excuse that he's too busy. And so I really, and then just his conversation with Robert Redford. So I really hope we get more of that in this. I know there's been talks of 
Haley Atwell showing up as either a flashback or as uh, in you know old old makeup as her older self. I don't think it was appropriate to really dive into that too much in the Avengers. I know there was some stuff they cut early on, uh, and I think it would have slowed that down. But I think now that he's kind of back and kind of fully trying to fit in, I think it'll I think it'll make sense. And it's interesting in the trailer, we don't see any of Sharon Carter slash Agent 13 at all. And yeah. it's been all but confirmed that she's in the movie. I mean, like, it's not officially confirmed. Let me make that clear. But we, we even know who's playing her at this point. So... It's interesting that they completely left that out of the trailer. Super interesting, too, that in one shot in the trailer, he's wearing his old World War II uniform. I mean, we in see a him, number of shots, actually. Right. We see him in the Super Soldier modified uniform that we've seen in the comics recently, uh, especially in the scene where he's talking to Robert Redford. But we actually, and there have uh, been different theories online as to whether there'll be a flashback sequence. There's a scene in the trailer where he's looking at a retrospective of his life. Uh, maybe he, that's where he gets the old World War II. Um, and I believe the Smithsonian, I think, is where it's supposed to be. I just, I, I just very a lot of really cool little intriguing things going on in the trailer. You know, kind of as uh, I wouldn't say Easter eggs, but more subtext, I guess. So right. I'm, I'm really. I mean, I, I know Thor is due out in what two weeks? Not even. I know yeah, it's November seventh. Yeah. So um, I mean, I know that's. I, I mean, I, we've all been looking forward to that, but I think I'm looking forward to this far more. It just. I'm really psyched from seeing this trailer. Yeah, it looks like we're getting that underground facility that they showed a few times. Uh, it looks a lot like the Triskelion from the Ultimates comic. So I think, you know, again, they're kind of incorporating more of these elements into it. But it, it just it just looks awesome. I mean, that bit in the elevator where he, he stomps on the shield and it flips right up onto his arm. You know, the, the bit with uh, the Falcon, which I think is awesome that we're finally getting oh, Falcon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Forgot to mention that. Anthony Mackie is the Falcon. Yeah. Um, we finally we get to see the reveal of what his costume is going to look like, what his wings look like. I thought it looked great. That scene where he's vaulting off the guy and under the bridge, that was yeah. that was really sweet. But I really like the Super Soldier uniform. I, I like it much better even than the, the Cap uniform from the Avengers. Yeah, I agree. Which, I agree. Which, yeah, I mean, I didn't hate the Cap uniform from Avengers, but I just I wasn't as impressed with it as I was the World War II uniform from the actual Captain America movie, but everything in this thing looks cool. I mean, just him in his street clothes carrying the shield with the leather jacket. I mean, it just, I, I think this movie's really going to cement Chris Evans as that character. I think for for a lot of reasons, he was pretty stiff in, you know, in, in Captain America. I think he was pretty stiff in the Avengers by choice. I think we're going to start to see him now um, exhibiting a little bit more character. I think he's going to be written a little sm- more, a, a little smarter. Um, and so far, the the action looked pretty good. I was a little concerned about the Russo brothers picking up the directing. I thought I thought Joe Johnston did a did a fantastic job, um, but it, but it looks like you know much like Thor: The Dark World, we're seeing that the director coming in behind may actually uh, be able to improve on the process. So yeah, I cannot wait for this to come out. I mean, it just April the fourth can't get here fast enough for me. Well, yeah, and the Russo brothers are well known for their ability to be genre chameleons, which generally they've done in the sitcom space, where they will do sitcom episodes, which are somewhat you know parodies of, of different genres. Um, this will be the first time that I'm aware of that they'll be doing that in a full feature film. But yeah, the action looks fantastic. That one shot of the Winter Soldier spinning around in the uh, in the smoke after Nick Fury's car gets blown up looked really awesome. Um, the whole thing with the shield getting thrown at the, as the little tag at the end of the trailer was really cool. It, it looks really great, and if they're going for that 80s 
70s, you know, action spy thriller feel, at least from the trailer. I, it looks like they nailed it. Yeah, it looks pretty close to the Brubaker source material as well. Um, I mean, as far as we know, from we can tell from the trailer anyway, you know, I mean, Winter Soldier looks as he did and is the same person he was in that story. You know, that story was very espionage heavy and very, like you said, Jordan, 70s uh, spy with the Michael Caine, not like James Bond, more more like the Michael Caine uh, spy thrillers of the 70s in England and stuff like that more. Or even the Jack Ryan movies right, or something, something like that. Like that. Day, or yeah. Day of the Condor, things like that. So have you guys seen any movies lately in Yonder Theater or on the Netflix Theaters, no. I've seen a lot of stuff on Netflix lately. Some of it we've been covering on Jersey Shore. Um, one we were talking about on email, Jim, and uh, or actually I believe it was when we before we started recording last week's Walking Dead podcast. I was talking about Pootie Tang, and you mentioned that you were not a fan of that movie. No, not so much. <laughs> we uh, we had mixed opinions on the podcast about it, but generally we we seem to like it. If if none of us would really say it was a good movie, we all enjoyed it. Um, but a lot of stuff like that. I've been watching a lot of random stuff on Netflix. I actually, um, I think we might have talked about this back on LOD a while back or on an earlier Real BS or a Really BS show. Um, the the sh- show Continuum. Have you guys checked oh, yeah. that out? Yeah, I'm all yeah. caught up. Yeah, we co- yeah they, we covered that on Nothing's On. Actually, I watched the whole first season. Well, they've recently, as of like two three weeks ago, added the second season to Netflix. And uh, I watched it all in like two days, just like I did with the first season, and still really good. I really enjoy that show. I mean, it's nothing that's going to reshape how you look at the world, but for a sci-fi action television show, it's really well done. Something that kind of always, um, I always enjoy with that show is that they film it in Vancouver, so you see a lot of X-Files actors. Right, yes, um, yeah. Including, I mean, the Smoking Man is kind of a major you know, character in, the, in it, but um, there are a lot of actors. Nicholas Leah. You know, yes, yes, he's in it Crycheck. too. Yeah. Well, and like Battlestar people. I mean, lots and lots of shows right. filmed in Vancouver to the point where you can start to realize what shows are filming there just based on what actors show up. Um, but this is one of the few that actually sets the show in Vancouver, which was a fun little twist. I really got to shout out the new Alamo Drafthouse releases on Netflix, uh, especially the one called uh, A Band Called Death. So good. What a great documentary. I know Jordan is a big fan of documentaries. There, this is a documentary about these three um, three brothers the, the Hackney brothers in uh, Detroit um, in the 70s, uh, the early 70s, 72, 73, playing punk rock, what we essentially would, you know, refer to as like, you know, proto-punk, like Iggy and the Stooges or uh, the Ramones, you know, just that very powerful kind of, you know, rock and roll. And because they were black and because they're in Detroit in the 70s, uh, they couldn't get a record deal. The the one brother who wrote all the songs wouldn't change the name of the band. I mean, they had a... Um, the contract lined up with Arista Records with Clive Davis, and they said, "You know, we'll sign you right. To, you know, we'll sign you up today if you, know, you change the name of the band from Death." But he wouldn't do it because he had this creative vision. Um, he had this whole like concept behind all the music too. But the music is really tight and it's really good. And these record collectors kind of um, found um, the the single that they did and then unearthed the master tapes from this band. And you know, thirty years later, they finally released their album. And in the meantime, you know, the the two brothers that. Um, two of the brothers broke off and made a reggae band and the, the guy who wrote most of the songs passed away and uh, just an incredible story. You know, 30 years later, they're getting their due. And not only did the guys in the band Death, uh, were they able to come out and play and, and sell their record, but also their sons have kind of, you know, jo- uh, stepped up to carry on their legacy too. It's just a really cool story and a really, really you know, well-made documentary. Real interesting, I thought. Uh, but the Alamo Drafthouse has put up, I think, five different movies on Netflix this month and they're going to keep... 
uh, doing these uh, releases. So you can search them out on Netflix. They're usually pretty good flicks. And now, uh, for me, what really set this movie apart, because like I said, I really liked it. And I heard about it because um, Scott Mosier was one of the executive producers. And he's, of course, one of the main guys behind Kevin Smith's movies. Uh, you know, Scott and Kevin have done almost every movie together. Um, so that's where I heard about this from Smodcast and that kind of stuff. But have you seen the documentary, either of you, have you seen um, Anvil, the story of Anvil? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, to me, uh, I, I would recommend Anvil, the story of Anvil, but I think this is a much better documentary. And the one thing that really sets it apart for me is while Anvil was a decent documentary, it had a really, really good ending, and it was interesting, I like thrash metal. And in my opinion, anyway... Anvil's metal is not very good. Yeah. It's just not very well produced. I was just going to say the big, well difference, the big difference is Death is a better band than Anvil. Exactly. <laughs> Every time they would play a sound clip, and they play tons of music from An- uh, from um, Death in this documentary. Every clip they played was better than the one before it. It was just interesting and varied. Like Jim said, it's, me- it's punk before punk was punk. It's metal before metal was metal. It's all these things. It's really, really good music. And so even though... Um, even if the stories were exactly the same, Death would be a better documentary just because of the music. But the stories aren't exactly the same. I think that the story of a band called Death is much more interesting than Anvil, the story of Anvil. I still would recommend both movies, but definitely uh, a band called Death is is head and shoulders above. I I think it was just a really enjoyable documentary all the way through. And now i got to get that album because I haven't picked it up yet, but I really want to. Yeah, if you, if you guys are interested, like I said, the documentary is called A Band Called Death, and the um, the album is called uh, So All the World Should Hear, Shall Hear Them, um, and it's on vinyl and on, on download and CD. So. so, Russ, what have you been checking out lately? Uh, well, since I was home for two weeks recovering from this uh, shoulder surgery I had, if it, pretty, a fairly minor outpatient, not, not a big deal, but um, it, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty much laid me up for four weeks although i'm back to work but i've watched a ridiculous amount of television uh you know as jordan talked about i caught up on continuum i finally finished uh all 10 seasons of the british uh show mi5 i don't know have you guys ever seen mi5 there's 10 seasons of that show i mean i'm assuming they're shorter british seasons yes. right? okay yes. um most seasons are 10 episodes and the last three seasons are like eight episodes each and then i think the very last season was like six episodes and is this an hour long i'm assuming i'm familiar with the show but i've never actually seen it yeah and, and it's british so when they when it's an hour long uh show it's an hour long right you know, it's like, right it's 58 minutes it's not 40 minutes and then you know previously on and all that other kind of stuff so it's it's pretty jam-packed uh it's pretty dense it it got a little goofy in the end meaning things kind of took a weird turn that i didn't see coming and resolved itself but it got it's it's definitely a show that got better as it went on. The first, you you could almost start it like it's season three and just kind of watch it. The first two are a little dry and and there's not much. There's not really a whole lot that builds from the season before. I mean, they usually end on some sort of cliffhanger that's resolved uh, fairly early. Uh, but but the the very final episode was really was really good. It ended on a really good note, uh, given how long it ran. There was a really cool call back at the very end of the last episode to a character. Uh, that hadn't been seen or heard from in quite some time, and it was it was very quick, but it was really cool. Um, and overall, I was I was pretty happy with it. I mean, it's it's uh it's been on Netflix for quite some time, and it's taken me quite a while to get through because there's there's times where it it can be a little dry, and it's hard to sit through. It's it's hard to marathon it. Like it's not like one of those 
like Breaking Bad or even Sons of Anarchy or some of the other ones where you could sit there and watch eight to ten episodes. Um, so yeah, so I finally muscled through the end of that. It's kind of surprising because it, it's kind of a, I guess it's thought of as a kid show to a lot of degree, but I think the writing is very smart. Uh, and that's Avatar The Last Airbender. I hear great things about it. Could never bring myself to watch it. Yeah, it's, uh, so I'm like halfway through season two, and there's parts of it that are kind of silly. It's, it's very much geared towards kids, but like I said, the writing is really smart, and it's, 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 it's actually pretty good. I mean, the way they, they divide up, you know, the concept is that there are these four types of benders. There's an airbender, a water, a fire, and an earth, and every generation there's what they call the avatar who's the one that learns all four disciplines and is like a master of all four and and stops some great evil from happening and the the kind of the premise is that main character called ang is the last airbender and he's been basically frozen in a block of ice for a hundred years he's thawed out and the the people the fire what they call the fire nation the firebenders have kind of taken over the world and so he's on this quest to learn the other disciplines and become the the avatar and and kind of free the land from these firebenders um but it's all a precursor to a show that they've got going on called the legend of Korra, and i hear i hear a lot of good things about that show and that it's it's much better even than avatar so i thought well in the first season that showed up on amazon prime so i thought okay before i jump into that let me you know let me watch these three seasons of uh the last airbender so it's it's been pretty good like i said it's it's uh I, Jim, I think I, if you haven't seen it, I think once your kids are a few years older, I think I think they'll they'll appreciate it. It's it's very much like the seven eight year old. I think that you know that range would be a good good age to watch. I know uh, John, Johnny M is a big fan of the show. Uh, yeah, he, he's, yeah. Uh, he always uh, recommended it to me, and I just never got around to it. Yeah, my nieces and my nephew watch it too, and it's it's very much like a. There's usually like a lesson in each show. You know, it's like somebody doesn't believe in themselves, and they you know. You know, somebody else shows them that, you know, they 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 could do something or overcome some adversity or, you know, they 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 think somebody that has some sort of, um, you know, disability or shortcoming, you know, can't do something. And and they turn out that, you know, they they can you know, they're much more powerful than they thought. So it's 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 really just kind of one of those feel good kind of shows. And and it doesn't dumb it down like it doesn't you know, there's one character that's blind and they don't shy away from the fact that she's blind they kind of make cracks here and there about the fact that she can't see. So it's and not in a mean way, but just in a, like, you know, this is how, what kids would really do. They would really say things like that, you know, because they're kids and they don't think, uh, and, and then they kind of catch themselves. So it's just, it's really, really smart. Um, and I, I, I definitely recommend it. And they're, and they're short. how far are you through the three seasons of the first show? I am on episode 12 of season two. And I think season one has 20 episodes and I think the other two have 18. So I'm almost done with season two, but they're short. They're like, you know, 20 minute, you know, long. Cause there were 30 minutes on Nickelodeon and then you clip out the commercials and it's, it's like a 22 minute show or something like that. Now, are you going to force yourself to watch the M night Shyamalan movie once you finish this, just to see what it was? Probably so just, just, to, just because so I can, uh, uh, either shake my fist at it or go, Hey, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I probably will check it out. Um, and what, oh, I started watching, I don't know, did you guys ever watch 24 when 24 was on? I watched a couple seasons. I was never really into it. I don't buy Keith or Sutherland as an actor. I think his dad <laughs> got all the talent in that family, but, uh, you know, there was some fun things on it. I could just never really get into it because of him. That's funny. I, I was a big fan of 24, uh, back in the day and 
when the eighth season come on, I forget. I think it was one of those that we, I had queued up on the DVR, and the DVR just just tanked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never got to finish watching the eighth season. This season, they're actually doing like a twelve episode half season of some sort. Uh, so I thought, well, before I catch this, I might might as well figure out where Jack Bauer was left at the end of the eighth season. Uh, so I'm going back through and rewatching uh, season eight and trying to try to get to that before it starts. But uh, and then just just other random stuff that I've been watching on on Netflix. I, I watched the Solomon Kane. I don't know if you guys ever saw Solomon Kane. I did. Yeah, I know the name, but I've never seen it. It it was it was okay. I mean, nothing to write home about, but but it was okay. And then I watched Tai Chi Zero and Tai Chi Hero. I've seen Tai Chi Zero, but not Hero. Hero was not as good, in my opinion, as Zero. Like, Zero had that real kind of quirky, almost comic booky quality to it, you know, where they would superimpose titles and they would do kind of weird graphical things, you know, at what, when, when certain things happen uh, on screen. And it's like they stripped a lot of that out with Hero. It, it, it wasn't bad, but I, I definitely like Tai Chi Zero better than Tai Chi Hero. Now, on the Asian cinema tick... Did you guys see the Spike Lee old boy trailer? Yes. And what I've are your thoughts? Because, I mean, I'm a big fan of old boy. Um, I've never read like the manga or anything, but I've seen the movie a number of times. Um, much to some of my, some of my friends who really hate that movie, and then I made them watch it. But <laughs> I really enjoyed old boy to the extent that you can enjoy um, something with that subject matter. I think the trailer looks great. Um, now, and granted, you guys know I'm not generally against remakes in any way so i don't go in like expecting to hate a remake but it looks like they really nailed the look and feel josh brolin looks amazing in the role um i'm excited to see it i'll go see it just out of curiosity i I love the whole original trilogy um all three all three movies and um i don't know i saw the trailer for this and i just was kind of taken aback first of all of all the movies that are out there to be remade that this would be one that spike lee would want to remake but um, I'll probably, like I said, I'll probably just go see it out of curiosity just because I love the original one so much. I uh, There's one thing, and I don't want to spoil it, because if you haven't seen the Korean version, I don't want to give it away, but it doesn't look like that's the route they're going with the American version. And, and I know exactly what you're hinting at, but a lot of people are theorizing that there's a specific shot in that trailer designed just to throw people off who've seen the original to make them think that that's not in there when it actually is. Uh, now, granted, who knows, but... Can you just imagine American audiences? I mean, because, I mean, it's a foreign language film if you've seen the original, and it's kind of weird throughout. But can you imagine for an, an English film for American audiences how people will react if that's in there? Uh, I think very negatively. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, only only time will tell, I guess, on that. Yeah, it, it does. It definitely does look interesting. I, I don't know if I'll go see it at the movie, at the theater, but it's definitely one when it hits, you know, digital download or, you know, rent it on Amazon or Redbox it or something like that, I'll definitely check it out. Because I did, I did, like you said, Jordan, I did like the original version as much as you could like it. Um, I felt like I needed 16 showers after watching it. but <laughs> um, And that was just because of the awful English dub. Oh, oh no, see, I watched, yeah, I didn't even bother with that. Whenever I watch foreign flicks, I always uh, subtitle it. I've seen it both ways because for a while Netflix had with subtitles, so that's the first way I saw it, and then the second time I had to sit through with uh, the dub because they did not have the subtitle version available, and Uh, the dub is terrible. It is just laughably awful bad. That's almost universally the case. Right. I finally saw World War Z. As did I. What did you think? I liked it a lot, I and I have no... 
I have not read the book, and I know, like, you know, John's read the book and was able to kind of keep it separate in his mind and was okay with it. I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I think, uh, I think I could see, you know, the ending had a lot of trouble, allegedly. They had to do a bunch of reshoots and rewrites, and that's what caused a delay. And I, I think I could see, based on where that movie went, how that came to be. But I thought the... I mean, to me, the beginning was was incredible. Uh, I think a lot of times in these movies, things can start out a little slow, and and things don't progress quite so rapidly. And this thing just started off like a shot. I mean, we get you know five minutes of exposition or whatever in the beginning, and then it just goes. Uh, yeah, I also really enjoyed the movie, and I uh, again have not read the book, just like you have not read the book. Um, I've read the Zombie Survival Guide, just not World War C, but. You know, it, is it traditional Romero zombies like the book? Nope. And quite frankly, I've seen traditional Romero zombies tons of times between the Romero films and Walking Dead and other assorted zombie things. I love Romero sterile zombies, but what really drew me into this movie was that it was something completely different. It wasn't even 28 Days Later, uh, you know, Infected. It was something on its own that had a really cool visual style and visual language to it. And, you know, you were talking how much you liked the the opening and I agree I thought the opening was great but I equally thought that the resolution to the film was really cool and something I hadn't seen before and that was really surprising and made me really happy because you know we, there's been a lot of zombie stuff over the last few years uh, last decade really and it's hard to separate your property and make it into something new and something that feels unique and not just a re or you know a rehash and a retread and for me this definitely felt different enough that i would definitely see a second one it was really cool jim did you read the book i read the book but i have not seen the movie the resolution from the movie is not in the book from what i understand if that's what your question is yeah but i was curious if 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 there was any cure quote unquote that the book came up with for this outbreak or if it was just like like it like the title says, it's just a collection of stories of, of things that happen. The book is, is like you say, it's a bunch of different stories from different points of view around the world as the zombie outbreak goes on. I don't think there was a resolution by the end of it. Um, either well, I mean, the, the resolution other. in the book, from what I understand, is just the human race held out and finally figured out ways to kill them from a distance and designed weapons that could take down the zombies and just years and years of fighting and fighting until there was a few people left and all the zombies were gone more or less. Right. I, I was um, referring to like, I guess in the movie, there's some sort of cure that they come up with or I mean, I don't want to say not, not exactly. I, I would say Russ, uh, I would say it's a bit of a misnomer the way Russ phrased it. Well, um, the solution is... they come up with. There, I would, and solution is maybe closer, but I don't even know if I would say that is correct. They find an interesting way to fight zombies. I'll put it that way. That doesn't involve weapons. Okay. Well, I mean, just I, there wasn't any like you know magic bullet in the book. I guess was the point I was making. Not even an adamantium one. No, not an adamantium. <laughs> a memory erasing adamantium one. Exactly. The only kind there is. Yeah. It's it wasn't a cure. It was just a way they found to fight the zombies that was very inventive. And not a, you know, like a cure would be something that eradicates a virus and everybody's hunky-dory. The end of the end of World War Z is not necessarily an uplifting, everything is going to be all right ending. It's very much, zombies suck, but we found something that sucks maybe a bit less. Hey, Bob, and, Bob, I'm really sorry I tried to eat your brains, man, but I feel better now. <laughs> Read your brains. That's a great song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy that. And another movie I had seen on the same tech because I have Netflix Instant, but my parents have you know a, a disc 
uh, by mail Netflix account. So occasionally they will get a movie that I actually have some interest in, although it's rare. But back to back, they got World War Z and um, Now You See Me. Did either of you guys see that? No. Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, um, Woody Harrelson, and Isla Fisher, I believe? Or Amy Adams? No, Isla Fisher. Um, So I enjoyed most of the movie, you know, on on a superficial level. It's not very deep. um, Until the end. And yes, I know it's a spoiler to say that there's a twist in a movie, even a movie that you kind of expect is going to have a twist like this. Um, But I thought the twist was nonsense. And I love movies with twist endings. They just have to actually work within the context of the rest of the movie. And at least in my opinion, the twist in this movie did not. Um, I was expecting something along the lines of what it did that would have worked, but what they actually went with didn't work in my opinion, and I just thought it was kind of dumb. That said, it was a pretty movie, it was entertaining, but it's very superficial. Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked it a lot more than I thought, but yeah, I, I uh, my my issue at the end was I, I don't think they gave you enough to make that believable to see it coming. Not only that, but there was things in the preceding film that I thought just not necessarily contradicted it, but didn't make any sense in retrospect because of what the reveal was. Right, right. But overall, yeah, I thought it was I, I, I thought it was good. I liked it a lot. So uh, they, 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 it looks like they're trying to franchise it. I might be interested in seeing a second just for the cast and the general tone, which was enjoyable. But yeah, the, the ending didn't work for me i think it's easily one of those that they could make into like a franchise heist kind of thing you know like oceans 11 or yeah uh, oh yeah you know the italian job you know any of that kind of uh you know kind of genre what else have you seen recently jim uh i've just been i uh been watching on television american horror story coven which has been really awesome if you guys have not seen it you really should it's only three episodes in uh kathy bates jessica lang angela bassett um, it's set in New Orleans and it's based on actual witches who lived and, and, you know, are part of New Orleans history, uh, like, uh, Madame LaLaurie and, uh, Matt, Marie Laveau and, um, and people like that. And they're, uh, they have a, a training school for exceptional young women. Uh, you can imagine, you know, which school it doesn't pull any punches. It's definitely not for children or not for people who, uh, have problems with gore or whatever, but I don't. And, uh, the writing is great. The acting is hilarious. Uh, it's just it's one of the best things I've seen this this season. Uh, and have you watched the other two American Horror Story series? I've watched the first season, but I have I'm waiting for the second season to come up on Netflix. I think I want to say it's up there now. It, it should be any day because they started the third season. I've been keeping an eye out for it, but um, I and, and I have not watched any. But from what I understand, it's all anthology stuff. So each season is self-contained. Right, each season right, has okay. its own storyline. Um, this one, like I said, centers around New Orleans and. Uh, uh, like I said, the cast is great. The writing is sharp. The story, I mean, it's just o- far over the top. Also, I've been watching Sleepy Hollow, which has been a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, I, I recommend that to anyone. And also, um, Aaron uh, Newworth and Brandon Peters are doing uh, the Ichapod Crane cast on uh, HHWLOD.com. They're uh, doing an episode-by-episode episode, uh, podcast on Sleepy Hollow. So I've been enjoying that show quite a bit, too. I still have not gotten a chance to start watching it yet, but I keep wanting to. I have the first episode because it was free on iTunes, but I just have not had the time yet. Well, since we're talking TV, let me let me like poke a sore spot, I guess. Or it might not be with you guys, but it seems to be in the, the fan community. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where, where do you stand? And Russ, I... of course, being one of the hosts of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, the S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast on HHWLOD.com. Right. Yeah, for, for the most part. 
Um, I I like it. I think it has a lot of potential. I think in general, I'm waiting for it to kind of find its leg. Kind of similar to Buffy. Like Buffy in the first season, I don't think was a very good show. And Angel it, in its first season was mostly terrible. Yeah. yeah. Same with Dollhouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Dollhouse well, took like half a season. Yeah, the first first few, few first few episodes were rough. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was just a kind of a studio interference. They kind of made him recut things a little bit and retell it. But I think there's some quirky things that don't quite work as well as others. I'm not real big on the character of Sky, and I don't know if it's the actress or the writing, but she just doesn't really work that well for me. Uh, I think the other characters are fine. I think uh, Fitzsimmons is, are awesome. I think Coulson is is Coulson for the most part. I mean, obviously, there's a mystery going on with him. Uh, I think Ward is a little stiff, but hopefully he, he's lightening up. I like Melinda May. Uh, again, I think she's kind of coming into the fold more. Uh, I I think it was a little too reference-heavy in the beginning. You know, every time I turn around, it was like, oh, I was killed by Loki or, you know, they constantly were referencing the other movies, and I think it started to slow down a little bit or be a little more a more appropriate. But I think I think this one, I think really by episode twelve or fourteen, I think we're really going to know what the show is or what the show isn't. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I think it, from the pilot all the way through. Um, the episode before last, I thought every episode was better than one before it. I thought this most recent one, the the girl in the flower dress, was it was fine, but it just wasn't as good maybe as the one or two that came before it. But I mean, like we've been hinting at, Whedon shows, and this is not technically a Joss Whedon show. This is Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron, who are awesome, and they did Doctor Horrible with him, and they worked on Dollhouse with him. They were the showrunners there. Um, but with all that that family of of shows. With the exception of Firefly, the first seasons of those shows are generally pretty awful, and they have bright spots, they have characters that you either love to love or love to hate, and you can see the potential, but it takes them half a season or a season to get there. I I'm seeing no difference here. I think the real big difference is it was way overhyped by us in the fan community, and, you know, there's nothing you can really do about that, but people... Just and granted, this is just my opinion from what I've read on Reddit and message boards and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. People were expecting the Avengers every week for some reason. When logically, there's no way you're going to get anything even close to that. You know, it's it's a 22 uh, episode season serialized television made for uh, you know major broadcast network. It's not going to be that. It can't be that for money reasons and time reasons and licensing reasons and all those things. But I think with what they've been given and what they have done with it, I'm very happy. Is it great yet? No. But I definitely think it has the potential to be that. And for what we've gotten, even if it's not great, I've really enjoyed the vast majority of it. I think you hit on a very important, important uh, point there, Jordan, with the expectations uh, going into this show. I mean, you're right. I think some people were expecting it to be, you know, uh, Avengers of the Week or whatever, or just, you know, like a, a definite extension of that. But it definitely has to be its own thing, like you said, not only for budget constraints, but just for the sake of the, the franchise itself. I mean, they really can't. I, I've been liking watching the show kind of trying to find its way and seeing the things that work and seeing the things that don't. Like uh, Russ said, I think that Fitz and Simmons work really well on the show. I, I like Melinda May a lot. I, I like uh, um, Ming-Na Wen uh, as an actress in general, and I've liked her since you know, the beginning of the show. So I, I like the, what they're doing with her and stuff. I, I've been enjoying it as it's been going along, trying to find its way, and I didn't really come to the show with any expectation other than it was going to be a good TV show uh, and that Clark Gregg was going to be in it. 
So, so, <laughs> yeah. so far, you know, I really haven't been disappointed. I think it's a good TV show and uh, it's got enough of the Marvel flavor. I think that it's definitely hitting the fanboy buttons as well. So it just, I, I, I really agree with what you said, Jordan. A lot of it is just the people, what they expected, you know, for the show to be or whatever. It's funny, you know, you brought it up, Russ, you said the same thing. And just about everybody here talks about the show. Um, says, you know, I love Clark Gregg, I love Mignon Wen, and then the others, you know, can be, you know, hit or miss, or I like some, don't like the others. And it's funny for me, everybody seems to like Mignon Wen. I only buy about 50% of her line deliveries in this show. I would say she has the lowest percentage of line deliveries I buy, actually, of the entire main cast. Um, so I, I don't know why that is, that I seem to be the only person who doesn't particularly like a lot of the stuff she does on the show. I think she's great with the action and some of her line deliveries, the one that hit, the ones that hit, I think have been really good and really funny in many cases, but I am definitely the odd man out uh, on uh, Ming-Na Wen on S.H.I.E.L.D. The only actor I really think is trying too hard on that show is the guy who plays Agent Ward. I just feel like he's trying a little too hard. Yeah. I'm, I, I think he's, he's, he's doing what he can with what he's been given. He's kind of got that white bread character and part of that, I think, is purposeful because I have an idea of where I think they're going with him that I think will actually be very interesting. But you can go back through all those Whedon shows and that white bread kind of character guy is always there. And what they do with him, you know, varies. But, you know, Angel um, in the first season of Buffy, I mean, David Boreanaz, let's just be honest, was terrible. Um, he grew into the character and they eventually figured out what to do with him. But he was bad there the first season of Angel. They, he was a little bit more interesting, but still very white bread. Um, who was the doctor? Uh, Simon Tam on Firefly was probably the least interesting character on that show. They've got a history of it, and they can eventually turn it into something interesting. And again, I think I know where they're going with it, and it could be very cool. But um, yeah, he, he's certainly the driest of them all. Can we talk about another superhero show on a competing network that I think is firing on all cylinders? Tomorrow People? close <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly joking but have you guys been watching arrow i have not i've seen the first season and the first episode of the second season and i need to catch up it's uh i think i think there's some aspects of arrow that agents of shield could take some lessons from and a lot of it i think surrounds the action i think the action the one of the things i say in agent of shield is a lot of the hand-to-hand combat seems a little over coordinated coordinated like it's a little too maybe over choreographed i guess is what I'm, I'm getting at it's a little too clean and not quite as uh raw and i think on arrow it's the opposite i think the the uh the action is very believable it's very raw it's very brutal uh it's very believable um you know people get bruised and bloody and beat up and i don't think we see that quite as much on agents of shield but it's i i'm really digging it i mean i am it's it's really turning out to be a good show and this season i think uh i mean it it definitely has has its problems but it, it's not it doesn't fall into that trap of with small where smallville did of freak of the week or um really overly cheesy stuff going on it takes itself pretty seriously uh, and and there's a ton of really cool references in there. I mean, they've referenced Ferris Air. They've referenced, in a recent episode, they re- they referenced Ray Al Ghul. You know, Death, talk, Deathstroke is a big part of his origin. Yeah. Um, yes. they, they have Diggle from the from the comics as well, you know, which is a, 
uh, uh, you know, nod to Andy Diggle. Even little stuff like Soder Cola is there, you know, the Huntress, you know, things like that. Yeah. I like the show when it's not trying to be superhero-y. Like, I think the episode that for me worked the least was the one with Count Vertigo. Yeah. Because he was kind of superhero-y. And I think when they keep it more street level, more, I hate to use this, this adjective, but it's the only way I can really think of it, like more Nolan-esque. You know, like more, sure. uh, yeah, like yeah. plausible. You know, not believable, but plausible. Uh, I right. think that's when the show works best. And that, and Donnie Salvo and I have talked about this on Nothing's On podcast, which is a TV podcast I do. Um, we also don't like it when they give it the CW treatment, like when they have the good-looking young people, like you know, oh having, yeah, with the the uh, the romantic uh, angst and and uh, soap opera plot lines. But if you take those out, and you, um, I think it's a really good show. I've watched. The whole first season is on Netflix now. Um, yeah. And the second season just started up. I know I'm just a few episodes behind, I think. But um, yeah, the, I, I think it's a good show, too. Third episode was on last week. And I I, I don't think it's a spoilery, spoilery, but this season they've introduced uh, the character of the Black Canary. And her identity at this point is not known. Although if you look at IMDb, her name is out there. So I won't, I won't spoil it here, but... Um, but the character of Black Canary is out there. And the way that they use her power without making it a superpower is really cool. Um, and I think it works really well. But yeah, it's 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 a pretty smart show overall. I mean, it's and they've changed the tone this season, which I'm glad for. I mean, the first season, he makes no bones about having to kill these people that he's he's after. And and something happens at the end of the first season that makes him kind of change his tune a little bit. So now he's more into non-lethal means uh it's almost kind of like a batman thing where you know when he says to, to raza ghoul at the end of of batman begins it's like i'm not going to kill you but i don't have to save you kind of thing you know if if circumstances come up that that person were to die then he's not going to go out of their out of his way to save them but he's not going to go purposely try and kill anybody anymore and i think it makes it a little more interesting because it's a little one-dimensional when you just make him like the punisher and he's you know kind of a, a straight-up vigilante killer and now that he's kind of using alternate means, it, it I think it, I think it's added a, a, cool, a good dimension to that character. And is it it's Paul Paul Blackthorn, that the guy that plays uh, the cop? I think that's the he was in uh, the Dresden Files. He's he's kind of a he's a British character actor, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, and his character has gotten a lot more interesting this season, I think, than the previous season too. He's kind of been he was a detective and he kind of got busted down to a beat cop. So and he's also the father of of the. I guess main love interest of of Oliver Queen's character, but yeah, I, I, Arrow. I just I I'm I'm digging it. Can we stay in the superhero genre but switch mediums for a moment? Sure. Uh, I haven't played it, but have you guys been paying attention to Batman: Arkham Origins? I've been reading the reviews. I've not picked it up yet. I have not picked it up either because I'm broke. But I've been watching a let's play of it. Um, by somebody I watched a Let's Play for Arkham City of. And, you know, it looks good. From what I've been reading, you know, the story's very good. The voice acting's very good. It's more that it hasn't really innovated the gameplay since the last game. So if you enjoyed that and want more, awesome. If you wanted some new mechanics and everything thrown in, it's not going to be really there. It's more, more of the same, but done really well. Um, which, from the hour, hour and a half or so of the Let's Play I've watched so far... 
I would say that seems pretty accurate, and quite frankly, I kind of like just watching it more than playing it because I'm really bad at that style of gameplay, yeah. but I really like the story, so it's kind of the perfect medium for me. And the cutscenes are great. Um, I, I was a little hesitant about this game, and I didn't pre-order anything, mainly because um, Rocksteady Studios, who did the first two Arkham games, Arkham uh, Asylum and Arkham City, uh, did not do this game, so that was kind of in the negative column. But in the plus column was that the new uh, studio that was taking it over was using all of Rocksteady's assets, uh, AI, everything uh, that they'd used in the other games. So that might be why it seems so similar to the last game, uh, because they're using a lot of the the you know the same assets and, and systems. Oh, ex- exactly, absolutely. Um, I I'm interested to play it just because I've. I, I, I like the fact they're using uh, lesser-known villains or, like, you know, villains that we really haven't seen before in that milieu, like uh, Deathstroke, uh, the Electrocutioner, and uh, I like the premise of the game with it being, you know, the eight assassins who have to hunt Batman down on Christmas. Uh, I like the idea of the Batman being, uh, you know, early on in his career, so he's still kind of working outside the law. He doesn't have that relationship with Gordon yet. He doesn't have that, uh, you know, those ties to, uh, you know, the Gotham Police department yet he's still you know very much a, a vigilante um i, I kind of like would i'm interested in that aspect of it i've always liked these games mainly because the combat isn't just um button mashing you know it's more of a rhythmic thing it's kind of like a you know assassin's creed combat or you know sleeping dogs combat where it's guitar hero with punches yeah I mean, exactly it is very rhythmic. and i don't mean that as a negative I, I mean that as a positive right you get the visual cue and you have to you know definitely get in the rhythm of of the thing so i'll probably end up playing it um I am still in the midst of Grand Theft Auto V, which I would like to talk about when we're done talking about this. And there's a new XCOM game coming out in November, so that'll probably keep me occupied for at least a few months. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk uh, GTA V? Because I've got another video game thing when you're done. GTA V is friggin' awesome. It is the best. It is my favorite media release of this year. That counts movies, television, music, anything. This is my favorite media release this year. The The use of the three characters is genius. All three characters are reprehensible in their own way, um, but they're they're also strangely likable. Even Trevor, who like is this crazed meth head psycho, um, who just spouts like pop culture uh, philosophy, and he's kind of made that his life. Um, the driving controls are tighter. The combat controls are more like Red Dead than any of the GTA games. It has that kind of loose lock-on that I really liked in, in Red Dead. And in fact, one of the characters, Michael, has the same um, kind of uh, special ability that John Marston had to kind of slow down time as, and mark his targets. Uh, uh, like, I think it was called Deadeye in Red right, Dead, right? Right, Or is in, Ma- in Max Payne as well. They had the same kind of thing, the bullet time. Um, each of the characters has their own abilities. Um, Franklin, the, the, the young black entrepreneur, he uh, has is um, uh, adept at driving. He can slow down while, uh, time while he's driving so he can make sharper turns and dodge things uh, much better. And then uh, Trevor has a rage mode uh, where when you engage that, he's doing double damage and, and he just uh, everything is a bare better chance of exploding uh, <laughs> he's also better as a pilot right yeah he also had he's definitely the best pilot of the three uh, but all the controls the driving flying uh controls are, are all much tighter in this than they were in gta 4 the storyline is much better than in gta 4 the 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 biting satire has, has never been so cutting as it is in this it's just great uh they make fun of facebook they make fun of scientology they make fun of video game players uh they make fun of rockstar games they make fun of everything with that just really cutting wit um, that that they you know the Hauser brothers are known for in their writing, um, I just really um, 
I, I can't say enough good things about it. I, GTA Four, I, I, I admit, you know, was a, was a great game, but it just the story just kind of bothered me that you know Nico was oh I'm so conflicted, but let me go kill these two hundred guys or whatever, you know, it just didn't seem to scan, and then all that you had to make all the friend missions and everything to to progress the story, and there were just things about it I didn't I didn't like as much. This game just it it kind of does away with all that. All the missions are very. Um, unique and have storylines of their own. Even the side missions have cutscenes and and have like really unique objectives and stuff. Uh, you help out paparazzi or or um, there's a, this crazed British couple who want to collect uh, um, uh, movie stars, not just collect their stuff, but collect them um, as people, uh, you know, as like you know uh, collectibles. Um, there's just always crazy stuff going on. Um, you can skydive, you can play tennis, you can golf. Uh, there are UFOs to be found. Um, it's just all, so many things to do. There's an internet in the game and a working stock market where, say, you know, um, you know, there are analogs of Apple and Microsoft and uh, you invest heavily in Apple and you can go assassinate Bill Gates and then reap the benefits of your Apple stock going through the roof. Um, and the, I think the best thing about the, sh the game, though, are the heists. Um, they're, they're bigger... Um, jobs that are more than just one mission and basically you have to do a lot of preparatory missions to get everything together for the heist but you can choose who your gunman will be who your hacker will be and you know the better they are the bigger cut they'll get but also your these henchmen uh, level up as they do heists with you um, as you're uh, um, you, know, you set up there you can go uh, one example is you rob a jewelry store very early on in the game you can go in loud with guns ablazing and and you know make it in and out of there before the cops arrive or you can go in quietly and and smart and use like uh, knockout gas, wait for everyone to fall asleep and then go in and, and get everything without even setting off an alarm. Um, you can, you know, choose the way you want to do the heists. Um, one of them was like uh, with a, um, a submersible and, and a helicopter and you switch from one character to the other, uh, one in the helicopter and one in the submersible. There was another great uh, heist with the three characters. We had to switch from one to another where, um, uh, Trevor is in the helicopter uh, dangling down Michael who's going into this high-rise building busting in a glass window and grabbing this guy and then uh, Franklin is on an adjacent building with a sniper rifle covering Michael and you switch from one to the other and it, it, it's pretty flawless the, the the controls it doesn't bog anything down at all because it, whatever you're not doing the AI picks up on and, and takes uh, control of um, the radio stations are incredible uh, I can't go on, um, you know, I could go on all night about this game. It just really is, uh, a, a big step forward for GTA. Probably my favorite GTA game since Vice City. And that's my favorite in the, in the whole, um, uh, series. Uh, the other night I was doing an assassination mission and I killed about 200 guys listening to what a fool believes by the Doobie brothers. So that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Um, now, friend, have you beaten the main campaign yet, or are you still no, chipping away at that? I am still chipping away. I think I'm at something like 60% on the game, but I'm, I'm touristing a lot, and I'm doing a lot of side missions, and um, you have stats you can build up on the characters by doing different things. They kind of take the, the Skyrim model where, you know, your, your stat goes up because you're doing it a lot. You know what I mean? Like, right. if you run a lot, your stamina will go up. If you drive a lot, your driving will go up. And um, doing a lot of the side missions help you, helps you build those, uh, those stats. But um, the side missions, it's so funny. The game is just so hilarious. That dark gallows humor. Um, they really nailed it this time. I, I just could not be more impressed. 
And have you tried out uh, Grand Theft Auto Online yet at all? I have, and uh, the first day it was actually it was funny. For some reason, I woke up early that day, uh, just you know, out of the blue, and I was like, "Oh, well, the kids aren't up yet. I'll get a shower, coffee, and go online." And you know, about seven a.m., I'm like, "Oh, they started Grand Theft Auto Online today," and I got on the very first day at like seven a.m. and played for about an hour, hour and a half, um, with no trouble at all, because I heard the the servers uh, were were a mess. I tried again later that night, and I couldn't even get on the game. But now I guess um, I was just on a couple of days ago, and they've sorted a lot of those things out, and they've given um, all the people that played during those times that they had trouble with the servers a, a, a big wad of in-game cash, so you can buy your own, uh, you know, apartment, car, uh, what have you. But the online component is actually pretty fun. Um, there are jobs you can do with other people, or you can do the the open world of the game is actually kind of the game lobby. There are missions scattered around the map. Or you can just free roam and find things to do. Um, and it, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's pretty fun. I, I, I haven't spent as much time on it as, as I have on the single player, but, but I could definitely see myself playing it more often. Especially, I mean, if you get a crew together, um, you can you know band up in, in clans that they call crews, and you can do you know heist missions and more involved missions if you have larger groups of people. So, But they also have like deathmatch and races and... Um, uh, relay races and all, a lot of different mission types inside the game that you just pick up and, and go. Now, I know Russ is a PS3 guy. Jim, are you a PS3 or an Xbox guy? Xbox. Okay, so you will not have had a chance to play this game, as neither have I. Um, and I know Russ's PS3 is out, so he hasn't had a chance to play this game either. But uh, on the Let's Play tick, I also watched a full Let's Play of the PS3 exclusive um, Beyond Two Souls, the uh, Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe game. Right. Oh yeah. I've been hearing yeah. a lot about it. It's the same developer that did Heavy Rain, uh, David David Cage. Yeah. The 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 develop the, the, the yeah the developer team is called uh, Quantic Dream. Um, and I have not watched a Let's Play for Heavy Rain, but I might have to find one now because I really enjoyed watching uh, Beyond Two Souls. It's a, another one of those games that I don't know that I would necessarily want to play, but it was fun to watch. Um, it's very narrative driven. You play as Jody Holmes, who is um, Ellen Page's character. It's all uh, performance captured and everything, so it's all very good graphics and very realistic, and they really capture the essences of those actors. Um, and she has been her whole life attached to an entity of some type, whether it's a ghost or a demon or an angel or whatever. It's not made clear until later in the game, but uh, she's been under the control, basically, of. Uh, basically DARPA, I think it's called the DPA, the Department of Paranormal, something or other, uh, by the U.S., since she was a child, where they've been studying her, trying to determine, like, what are these entities, can we bring more over, do we want to bring more over, what can you do with them, etc. She eventually becomes part of the CIA, and you're, you're seeing the story of her life from the moment she's born up till she's about, I don't know, I'll say mid to late 20s. Um, it's told out of order, so you will see things later in life and earlier in life than in the middle, then somewhere before that. And so you're getting all these chapters out of order. The story was really interesting. It's not like the best story I've ever seen, but it was told really well. Um, again, I won't have a chance to play it because I don't have a PS3, but I would say if you're interested in playing it, check out a Let's Play or something because it looked really interesting. The soundtrack was great. The acting was fantastic. And just a really gorgeous and kind of interesting type of game. Well, the cool thing about it is, because, and it was the same deal in Heavy Rain, is the things you do in the game or the things you, the way you react to different different situations cause you to branch off into a different storyline. So there are, like, I don't know, dozens of different endings 
um, for the game. I mean, there are like some main endings and then some branch endings or whatever, depending on how you react in the game. Yeah, it doesn't branch quite as much as Heavy Rain simply because the story is not linear, or it is a linear story but told out of sync. So the things you do in one chapter can't directly influence the next chapter because you might play them out of order. But the endings definitely do branch based on the things you've done before. And the I haven't watched all the endings yet. Um, I will get around to that. But I thought at least the ones I'd seen were very satisfying and definitely built off of everything you'd played beforehand in the game. It's definitely an interesting way to construct a game. You know, it's it's very innovative and, and very inclusive, too. I mean, it's not... Um, the, the control scheme isn't like your standard control scheme. It's kind of a little a little more reactive to the, to the situation. It's part quick-time event, part open-world-ish style. Excuse me. It's part quick-time event, part um, not quite open-world style, but you know third-person view control. And then you can switch between Jody and the entity. The, the entity's name is Aiden. Um, so you might have to uh, break a door off its hinges or uh, possess somebody or you know flip a camera around so it's pointing the other way as Aiden so then you can pop back into Jody and you know she can continue along with her mission depending on what it might be. It's very interesting gameplay. It's it's more interactive story than it is game, sort of like uh, the Walking Dead game from Telltale or the current A Wolf Among Us Fables game is. Um, so if you are totally opposed to that and you want gameplay and a story is secondary for you in video games, this isn't for you. But if you are like me and you'd much rather have a really tight story than action bombastic gameplay the whole way through, definitely check it out, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going to try and get my PS3 repaired, hopefully soon. Uh, and if that's the case and it holds up, that, that, that's one of the games I've got on my radar, GTA V and um, The Last of Us. And The Last of Us, another one I watched the Let's Play of, all, all from the same person actually did Last of Us, Beyond Two Souls, and is now doing Arkham Origins. Um, uh, Last of Us looks so cool, man. That was just a, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not a, P, I'm not a PS3 guy or an Xbox guy. I have an Xbox, but I don't care one way or the other for the arguments. Um, but as a an exclusive, Last of Us was really neat. That's yeah, the only thing that really. Uh, I mean, I'm not a fanboy one way or the other on, on uh, consoles either. It's just that you know, I I yeah, I just get bummed out when I miss out exclusives like you know Last of Us or uh, or Beyond Two Souls. You know, I mean, I guess I get my Halo games, so that's on the plus column. But yeah, the um, there are a lot of. Uh, I I wanted to ask you, Jordan, if you'd gotten the season pass for Bioshock Infinite and if you were looking forward to the uh, burial at sea. That's supposed oh, to be you better in. believe it. Um, the, they showed a, a long piece of the uh, early part of the gameplay of that. Uh, just recently, they had an interview with Kim Levine. They said it was going to be out before the holiday. So, you know, that's kind of nebulous. But hope, you know, we will. Well, they've narrowed it down more now. It's November 12th or 19th. I forget off the top of my head which one. It's the same day XCOM comes out. That's no fair. <laughs> but uh, I'm super excited to return to Rapture. It's, a, from what I understand, a direct continuation of the end of Bioshock Infinite. These are the same Booker and Elizabeth you're playing as, and it looks really cool. It's it's Rapture before the fall. Yes, you know it's, I mean? it's uh, the night before and the day after everything goes to hell in Rapture. It's, uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know if you saw the gameplay footage or not yet, but I'm, oh, yeah. I'm super interested. In, in, uh, I, I bought the season pass, you know, Sight Unseen, back when the game came out. Uh, I guess good things come to those who wait. <laughs> and I know I mentioned and, it. And it's totally cost effective because the three pieces of DLC in total, there's one $5 one and two $15 ones. So the season pass is 20 So even if you don't want the $5 one, which I know some people didn't, you know, you're still going to save 10 bucks by just uh, by just buying the season pass. Right. 
I know I've mentioned it twice already, but the new XCOM Enemy Within comes out um, November uh, 12th. And that's more of an expansion, right? Where it adds new units, but the storyline's the same from what I understand? It is, but it's going to have the original XCOM game in it. And, oh, and interesting. The, um, the, the new game, the new, I mean, they've done a lot. It's a, bigger than just, you know, like a, a Skyrim expansion. It's more like an old school PC expansion. There are new game. you know, there are new, uh, not only new weapon types, but there's a whole new co- uh, commerce in the game. There's an anti, or a pro-alien human force that you have to fight as well. Uh, the maps have been tweaked and changed for all the levels in the original game and in the Enemy Within parts. Um, it's one, it was one of my favorite games the year it came out. I just, I love turn-based strategy. I'm just, a, I've been a sucker for it since, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics and, uh, Vandal Hearts and Ogre Battle back in the day. Um, it's just a genre I really, I was really excited to see come to consoles again after being away for so long. And, uh, XCOM is a great, great game. If you, if you like, if you're, if you have a strategic mind, you like to play more of a chess style game rather than a Twitch uh, twitch and shoot type game every once in a while then i definitely recommend it and i really cannot wait for this uh, this expansion it's only going to be 40 bucks and it includes all the original XCOM enemy unknown plus all the new stuff there's a ton of new content so. where do you guys since we're on the eve at this point just less than a month away of of two new consoles where do you guys stand on either the ps4 or the xbox one well i didn't even buy an a 360 until a year and a half ago so I wouldn't expect to buy a new console for a very long time, um, but I have no real strong inclination one way or the other. I kind of feel like I'm on the Xbox One side a little bit just because it gets dogpiled on so much that I want to defend it just because no one else is. And I'm speaking hyperbolically, of course, but um, let them be out for a year or two, see what people actually do with them, and then I'll pick a side when I have some money and time to buy and, and play games again. Honestly, I'm I'm considering buying a second 360 because my 360 is an old 20 gig white, you know, eggshell white uh, 360 from the second gen. I mean, my very first one red ringed, which is another reason I'm not going to buy a console at launch again. Um, but this one I've had, you know, probably what five years now, four years. Um, so I'm thinking there's a there's a deal at GameStop on Black Friday for 199. Uh, you get the 250 gig uh, Xbox, two controllers. Um, Halo 4 and uh, Tomb Raider, the new Tomb Raider. Nice. For 200 bucks. So I think I might, I might, I might uh, take that. Uh, just because I would like to... I mean, there are so many games on 360 I haven't even gotten to, finished, would like to play again, you know. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't see me getting a console till, a new console till at least next year. And if I do buy something in the interim, it's probably going to be like a 3DS or something. Have you picked a horse in the race yet, Russ? No. And... Mainly because a few things have come up recently. Um, Titanfall's been pushed back. Yeah. Watch Dogs has been pushed back. Yeah. Um, was it Drive Club has been pushed back? Yeah. Watch Dogs is a of, real big one. A lot of people took off yeah. their pre-orders after that was pulled back because that was that was like the one you know a system seller quote unquote type game that really looked next gen. Yeah, and that Titanfall looks amazing. So it just looks like on initial launch for both consoles, there's not really going to be anything compelling that's going to push me one way or the other i mean everything is going to be dual you know call of duty is going to be on on current gen next gen assassin's creed is current gen next gen you know a lot of this stuff is just going to be dual released for the first year so there's nothing really and then the price point like the i was really happy with the ps3 i know it kind of got dogged on on the last generation but 
to me, it did so much more than just play games, and I used it for so much more than just playing games, which is probably why it's kind of uh, dead now. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I have a pretty much a Gen One PS3. It's hardware backward compatibility, but it's got a really small hard drive. So I've really thought about getting it reflowed professionally to get it fixed, and then maybe selling it on eBay and either taking the money I get from it. And because I've seen like reflowed PS, the, the gen I have of PS3s going for like two two fifty, and taking that and buying like a PS3 Slim, you know, just because the power consumption is a lot lower, the hard drive is a lot bigger. Because there's still several PS3 games that I have yet to finish through. Uh, I primarily use it as a Blu-ray player. I mean, it's my 3D and regular Blu-ray player. So I really miss that now that it's it's out. Hey, I, mean, I, I use a... my Xbox as my HD DVD player. So <laughs> wife and my kids got me for a year and a half ago the the Star Wars version of the of the 360. So I still it's it's practically brand new and I don't really use it even that much. So I I think the current gen still have a lot of life in them. Like you, Jim, there's a ton of games that I haven't played yet, or you know I'd like to I maybe played most of and didn't finish that I'd like to go back to. Um, I could easily fill a year before I really feel the itch um, to get anything new. Plus, I'd, I'd rather, like like you said too, Jim, give that, that first round of hardware time to get worked out because it just seems like lately there's it's a little buggy or they refine the model and either put a lower power consumption or lower heat producing or slim the model down. Um, there's, there's not really anything. I mean, I... Titanfall might be the one thing that really puts puts it over the top for me to yeah. go maybe Xbox One because that game just looks freaking phenomenal. But I mean, every time be on I see 360 something, as well. No, it's only 360. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 360 it's, PC it, and Xbox One. Yeah, but I, I, my guess is one of the things I, I heard this interview a while back on on Giant Bomb, uh, the Giant Bombcast. And apparently for Titanfall, they're really taking advantage of that Xbox One cloud computing thing they've got mm. to do a lot of uh, AI and, and predictive uh, intelligence or whatever it is they use, where they actually offload a bunch of the processing onto the cloud uh, to, to learn. So it learns your uh, habits on gameplay and learns from your opponents and stuff like that and to help make a better AI experience, and so that's that's definitely just going to be an Xbox One thing, not a 360 thing. But um, but depending on how that game goes and how things are at the time, that that might put me over the edge. But but yeah, I'm I'm at least a year away. I, I can't see it happening any sooner unless I just have some kind of huge windfall or um, you know something drastic happens. So I've been watching a web series recently, and we actually did a whole episode on uh, about it on Jersey Shore. If you're interested. But it's called Ruby, R-W-B-Y, and this is from RoosterTeeth.com, the same folks who bring you Red vs. Blue, uh, The Gauntlet, and a whole bunch of other stuff, both machinima and live action and uh, podcasts and uh, lots of funny stuff. I mean, you, you guys are familiar with them, of course, right? Oh, yeah, Red vs. Yep. Blue, totally, dude. I, I, I went got... to high school with Bernie Burns. <laughs> did you really? Well, I guess it I did. Texas, so. Yeah. <laughs> did he go by Bernie back then, or was he still Michael? No, he went by Bernie. Everybody right. pretty much called him Bernie, yeah. yeah. All right, okay. Well, so um, Ruby, again, R-W-B-Y, it's red, white, black, yellow, um, is a anime-inspired series, all, all 3D modeled and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
it's up to I think 14 episodes right now and they range from like four to ten minutes long a piece it, it, it depends pretty wildly but I got my friend Pierce to watch this for for Jersey Shore and we both enjoyed it to different levels. I enjoy it more than he does, which is odd because I'm not an anime guy, and he is. Or he's more so than I am. He's not really either, but he's more so than I am. It's, I would say, kind of in that same vein of what you were saying, Russ, about Avatar The Last Airbender, in that it's it skews a little younger than stuff I'd normally watch. It's very Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles-inspired and Sailor Moon-inspired, and just that general like teenage anime-type thing-inspired, but done for American audiences, the action choreography is amazing. There's not maybe as much of it as I would like, um, but it tends to be like more season premieres, or not season premieres, they kind of do volumes, so every couple episodes they'll have either a premiere or a finale of a chunk, and those will have some pretty cool action in them. But I would recommend people check it out. It's at roosterteeth.com. It's at um, uh, episode 8 is the one I would point people to in that. It's just like a 10 minute long sequence where about eight of those minutes are just CG action and it looks really nifty. It's transformable weapons and magic versus big monsters and all that kind of stuff. It's nothing particularly deep yet, although they do have like a magic system and all that stuff and how it works, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it and it really feels like it's getting its footing pretty quickly. I, I watch anime every now and again, okay? Like the last thing I really loved was probably Cowboy Bebop or Samurai Champloo and I know those are older. But some I had like three different people tell me to watch this anime called Attack on Titan, which I've oh, heard yeah. of. I have not seen. Yes, and I I despised it. I hated it. I watched like, the first three really? episodes. I'm just like, this is stupid. This is boring. I don't want to watch this anymore. I, I want to go lay down now. I have a headache. I just really did not like it at all. <laughs> John's and, you know, really big on Attack on Titan. Yeah, a lot of people are, and I think John was one of the guys who recommended it to me. And like I said, I'm not totally anti-anime. Like I said, Cowboy Bebop was probably one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Uh, I love Akira. I love, uh, like I said, Samurai Champloo and uh, uh, Gundam Wing. Uh, great stuff. But this just like, I don't know, Attack on Titan was so... I will give Ruby a chance, but I just want to know... I just was your problem bur- with Attack burned, on Titan? I just got burned by anime, so... With Attack on Titan, was it more the plot or the tone or what about it didn't connect with you, do you think? It was, first of all, it was very anime uh, dialogue. You know what I mean? The, the dialogue was very anime style and I just really, you know, come, you must go do this now. You know, I, just, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I grew up watching Speed Racer and, and Star Blazers, so that stuff doesn't usually bother me. But um, I, I didn't want to feel like watching. It's hard to watch subtitles uh, in my living room because it's so big. Anyway, um. I just, I, I don't know, the, the storyline just seemed kind of daft, and the the, the character, I, I just didn't connect with any of the characters, I just thought, it just seemed like very much full of anime tropes that were annoying me, and uh, I, just, I just didn't like it. And like I said, a lot of people recommended it to me, that's why I checked it out, and I gave it the three episode try that, you know, I always try to do with a, any show, except, you know, some that are really, really bad. But um, I just I just could not get behind it, could could not get into it. So I will check out Ruby, but be, be forewarned, I just got burned by an anime. So I hear. Well, like I said, check out episode eight. It's like ten minutes long, maybe twelve. Um, if you don't like that, it's probably not for you. No. But uh, I, I really I've watched that episode a number of times because I've like shown that one to people, and I really do dig it. Um, but the, the reason I brought up Ruby was not so much to talk about Ruby, although I did want to give it a little plug. Um, it's because Pierce and I were talking after we watched it. Um, both for the podcast and just, you know, just discussing it in general. And we were talking about how we really enjoy chaotic characters. Now, I'm not a D&D player. I don't know if you guys have played D&D in the past. I think, Jim, you've mentioned Yeah, actually, I'm playing one in a campaign right now. 
But we, we were talking about how when it comes to fiction, we really enjoy chaotic characters, be it chaotic good, neutral, or evil. They just tend to be the most entertaining. And we, even though he didn't like Ruby as much as I did, we both agreed that the one character of Nora, who's featured quite heavily in Episode Eight, um, is our is our favorite character. She's very much chaotic good slash chaotic neutral. And so when I was watching Netflix uh, the other week, watching um, a show they just recently added to the show, they added both seasons, um, I was trying to find a way to convince Pierce to watch it. I have not managed to yet, because uh, he takes forever to get around to these types of things. But the show I'm talking about is Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. And yes, that show was canceled a while ago. There's only two seasons. But I was very happy to see it on Netflix, because there was eight episodes that never aired in the U.S., they were released on Hulu Plus. I didn't get a chance to watch them before they were taken down. So on Netflix was my first time to watch them. And if you, like myself and Pierce, are fans of chaotic style characters, this is a show for you. It's very in the same tone of Arrested Development or a 30 Rock, that type of thing, that style of humor. But basically, a lawful good character, I'm going to stay in the D&D terminology even though I'm not that familiar with it, but a lawful good character moves in with a chaotic evil character, and chaotic evil character attempts to turn lawful good character into chaotic good, or chaotic evil character, and mostly only succeeds in turning the lawful good character either chaotic good or, you know, at worst sometimes chaotic neutral, sometimes even approaching chaotic evil. But 90% of the characters on the show could be described as chaotic in one of the three categories. And it has James Vanderbeek playing a chaotic neutral version of himself. And I really enjoy it. It's got Kristen Ritter, um, like I said, James Vanderbeek. Uh, and I just really, really enjoy the show. I've been re-watching it the past couple weeks, even episodes I'd seen before, and it's really funny. Donnie Salvo likes this show a lot, mainly for the Vanderbeek. Uh, oh, he's <laughs> hilarious in it. He's yeah. great. If you ever saw, like, the when he did that James Vander memes thing uh, a year or so ago, I think it was for collegehumor.com or Funny or Die, um, it's very much in that same style, where he has no problem poking fun at any point of, of his career in this show. That's funny. I, I haven't uh, I haven't caught that. I like Christian Ritter, but I haven't I haven't caught that. And it's only like maybe thirty episodes total between the two seasons. Um, and the only weird thing on Netflix is, and it's not just Netflix, but so they they shot the first season, and I think it was like a full season order, like, like twenty two episodes. But they didn't air all the episodes in the U.S. So they then moved the episodes they'd shot to season two for, uh, they moved like half those season one episodes and included them in the season two order, which meant some of the storylines are a little bit out of whack because they were aired out of order. Hmm. Um, but really it's not that serialized. So it's not that weird, but sometimes you'd be like, wait a second, James Vanderbeek is on dancing with the stars again. I thought that storyline was over, but that's the most uh, negative thing I can say about it is that some of it doesn't make complete sense just because of the way ABC chose to air them. But it doesn't really impact the enjoyment at all. Plus, you get Dean Kane on Dancing with the Stars occasionally. Yeah. Playing a very, I don't know if I'd even say chaotic evil, but just uh, funny evil version of Dean Kane. Speaking of uh, Netflix, I, I don't think since we've recorded the last show that I talked about this, but I finally finished Orange is the New Black. Ooh, what did you think of the ending, sir? I, I think it definitely ended on a high note. Uh, the last three episodes... I, I really just kind of powered through it. I was not a huge fan of it from the beginning. I don't know. There's just I, we talked about it last time. There was just something about it that just didn't resonate really that well with me. But right, I right. pushed. I pushed through it because it, 
a there's you know I, there wasn't much to, on it was kind of like in that dead period of of tv um and the last three i really i think i watched them i binge watched like the last three episodes because i think it really picked up um and i really liked where the story was going and it ended i mean i won't spoil it and say how it ended but it it ended pretty interestingly and i'm curious uh i think i know where they're going to go with ha- with it based on how it ended uh but i guess we'll have to wait and see it's um, a very character defining and altering moment that the show ends on yeah and i think it's going to have some repercussions for that character moving forward um I, I i always wondered like if they planned on making that show three or four seasons long how that would work and I think based on how it ended, I think I figured out how they're going to do that. Right. Um, yeah, no, no kidding. And the other one that I watched one episode of, and I don't know if I'm going to watch more. Uh, I probably will just because I heard it gets better, but is Hemlock Grove. Have you either of you guys checked out Hemlock Grove? I had not heard really anything positive about Hemlock Grove, really. I watched the first few episodes and then just kind of lost interest. I watched the first episode and I didn't know what the hell I was even watching. Yeah. I mean, I just was... I was really confused. It's not clear as to what the hell is going on. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to continue with it. I think it's one of those where if I'm really bored, I might might keep up with it. But it, it definitely, for something that, sh- that was conceivably a pilot or first episode to grab you, I think it should have been a little more straightforward than what it was. Did we talk about Derek on the show at all? I don't believe so. Derek is the newest series from Ricky Gervais, you know, one of the guys behind The Office and Extras, uh, the original UK version of The Office, of course. Um, it's a six or seven, I think seven episode miniseries or series from the UK that is counted as a Netflix original only because it only aired in the US on Netflix. It's, it's a BBC Netflix co-production or whatever, or Channel 4 maybe, I forget, but um, it was... Interesting because I had read about the show before it had even aired in the UK when the trailer first came out and people were like, uh, this looks highly offensive and not in a funny, let's think deeper about issues way, but in a, he's playing this guy named Derek who seems to be highly autistic, at least from the trailer. And this feels like it's going way too far in a really cringe inducing, not funny, just uncomfortable way. So that's what I had heard about this going into it. And I really liked it. It is not... I mean, yes, is it uncomfortable at some points? Absolutely. I don't think Derek, the, the character Ricky Gervais is playing, is the butt of any joke in the whole show, though. Except there's there's one very ignorant character who I think makes a couple jokes at Derek's expense. But clearly the actual joke is at that character's expense, not Derek's. Because it's you're, you're laughing at how terrible that person is. It's kind of an Archie Bunker type situation. Um... I actually found the show very moving, and I was not expecting to for it to do that, but there was a couple episodes where it was getting a little dusty in the room, and, you know, it's not a long-time investment. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed it. If you're not a Ricky Gervais fan at all and don't like, you know, his kind of, you know, troop of players, you know, because a couple of them show up, maybe it's not for you, but if you enjoyed The Office, the, the UK version, or extras, and you were kind of on the fence about this one just because of the subject matter... I would say don't worry about it. I was highly surprised in a very good way by Derek. Interesting. I've seen it pop up on the, you know, newly added or recent stuff, but I haven't, I haven't checked it out. Yeah, and it's only, like I said, like seven episodes, half an hour each, so it's not a huge time investment, but um, it's good. And Carl Pilkington is in it as a character, who's basically just him, but still, 
he was really good. Like, this is his first, as far as I know, acting thing. And I guess people will debate that with how much he's acting in An Idiot Abroad and stuff. But he was really funny in it. So if you like the, if you like Gervais's stuff, don't be put off by the subject matter of this one. That's pretty much my message for it. I enjoyed it way more than I ever thought I would. I like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Have you guys seen that? I've been highly enjoying no. that as well. The show is hilarious. It reminds me of Barney Miller. If you like The Office, the, the U.S. version, or Parks and Rec, check this out. It's, I think, some of the same people behind it. And so far, much better first season than either The Office, uh, U.S. version, or Parks and Recreation had. Because I love Parks and Recreation. It's my favorite comedy on TV. It had a very rough, I'd say terrible first season, <laughs> um, just like The U.S. Office did. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine... You know, a couple of stumbles here and there, but it's really good. And Andre Brower is hilarious. Oh, he's great in it. I love the one where they're all talking about how hard he is to read. Right, with the painting <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Um, and Terry Crews. You know, Terry Crews. And Andy Samberg. Yeah, the, and... the cast is great. And, and Samberg definitely isn't doing his, like, over-the-top Lonely Island-type Andy Samberg. He's actually playing the character. And uh, the the supporting cast is great. And it's, like I said, it's, it's smart, smartly written. It, it reminds me a lot of Barney Miller. I mean, there hasn't been a good cop comedy show I can think of in, in quite a while. There was the um, Dennis Leary one that he did before um, Rescue Me. I enjoyed that from what I can remember, but yeah, other than that, uh, Cop Rock? I don't know. <laughs> that was a joke, just just to be clear. I didn't think that meant to be a comedy, though. It just turned out funny. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I couldn't tell you. I just know it as a punchline. I'm watching Revolution. I kind of fell off about halfway through the first season. Mm. Um, is it good now i'm like it wasn't I, I didn't fall off because it wasn't good necessarily i just wasn't terribly interested yeah i, th- I think it's a little underrated I, i've been i've been pretty happy with it kind of got like the first season it had that point where you thought okay this is going to be the point of the entire season like them looking for somebody in particular and right. they actually resolved that and moved on from it and actually did something pretty drastic around that character so they're not afraid to to kind of take the 24 walking dead approach and you know whack characters and and things like that. So it's it's uh yeah, the second season has started a little interesting, not what I expected given the way the first season ended, but uh but yeah, I'm sticking with it. It's it's you know, I'm not really watching a whole lot of new shows. I I'm, or just TV in general. I mean, most of especially network television. I watch very few network TV shows. Most of what I watch is, you know, FX, AMC, uh, you know, USA, TNT, those those networks. I think the only new shows I'm watching this year are Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I did want to shout out real quickly that um, the, the guys behind Metalocalypse uh, are doing a rock opera, animated rock oh, opera, yeah. called The Doomstar Requiem, uh, The Hero's Path. And uh, you can watch, like, the first five minutes, I think, on AdultSwim.com right now. The only reason I'm not excited for that is because, from what I understand, it's tying up a lot of loose ends from the previous season, which I have not seen yet. So I almost don't want to watch it to avoid spoiling myself. Mm. Um, But I'll get around to it eventually. I love Brendan Small's work on on Metalocalypse and everything. It's such great stuff. I also watched a movie on video on demand called uh, Escape from Tomorrow. How was that? Was, oh yeah, it was weird. It was it was not as good. I, I would I would hope it'd be like a slam dunk awesome movie, 
but it was set, it was more Lynchian and just kind of set up this weird. I feel weird in like uh, uh, amusement parks anyway, or theme parks. So it just kind of compounded that. Basically, the story behind it is this guy filmed this independent black and white movie uh, at Disney World without any permission from Disney Corporation or uh, any fair any use of the the music. For instance, when they go to It's a Small World, it's a different. Uh, song and soundtrack then you know it's like if you ever wonder what uh what it'd be like if david lynch went to disneyland uh <laughs> this would be it it just really it really sets like a really creepy tone very well um in disneyland um the story it tells is kind of not as there as i would have liked but uh it definitely set the mood very well yeah for everything i've read pretty much says the idea behind the movie and how they shot it is way more interesting than anything actually in the movie. Well, if you watch movies the way we do, like you do or Russ or I do, where you just kind of have that eye of, you know, how they, how do they get the shot or how do they do that? You know what I mean? If you watch it that way, then you're going to get more out of it than trying to, you know, glean what you can from the story. Cause the story, like I said, really is kind of, all right, everybody. Well, that's about going to wrap it up for our really big show for this month. Uh, I think we're back on a, on a, I know I keep saying this. People are like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I think we're on, a, on on starting to get back on our rhythm. I think we're going to try and resurrect our normal Sunday recording. So I think things will be a little more streamlined from here on out. Uh, so hopefully next month we'll be able to talk about the new we'll be able to talk about the new X Men Days of Future Past trailer since we got the teaser for the teaser trailer um, just a few days ago. So that'll be fun. Um, go ahead and check us out at hhwlod.com and you can see you could check out all the shows that we have there. Uh, Long Walks of Doom, Half Hour Wasted, Walking Dead TV Podcast, The Shield Podcast. As Jim mentioned, uh, Aaron Neuwirth's new podcast, The Ichapod Crane Cast. I always forget to mention that uh, when we plug our, our shows. Um, as well as Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, speaking of them, I, speaking of which, I just did a commentary track with Aaron and uh, Brandon Peters from the Naptown Nerd uh, blog uh, for the original Halloween, John Carpenter's original Halloween uh, movie. Uh, so, you know, check that out on the site that just went up, I think, today or yesterday. Nice. In my opinion, the scariest movie ever made. It uh, That was the first movie that really made me a, horror mo- a fan of horror movies, but I talk about that in the commentary. So definitely check all that out, hhwlod.com, where you can find all kinds of good stuff. So until next month's BS, this is Russ for Jim and Jordan. We'll catch you later. Have a good week, everybody. Tasty bananas.
Bye. 